The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. So I'll share a few reflections, and then um, we'll have a discussion, and both Lian Chi and I will um, respond and interact with you on the discussion. This is an area where I know she has a lot of wisdom, but I'll just offer some pre- preliminary reflections um, about how we can make sure that our meditation and mindfulness are actually taking us where we want to go. So on one hand, it can feel like we spend a lot of time on the cushion and progress is very gradual. On the other, as time goes on in the practice, we begin to realize that every second we spend in formal meditation and in being mindful in daily life is very precious and we want it to count. I've always loved retreats, and years ago, I realized why there's a saying, practice like your hair is on fire, (laughs) because I saw that there might come a day when I no longer would be able to go on retreats, or I would no longer be on retreats. So this practice like your hair is on fire, uh, the primary way we can make sure our meditation and mindfulness practices are taking us to our goal is through something called right attitude or wise understanding or right view. So I'd like to start with a couple of quotes from wise teachers that I find inspiring. So the Buddhist teacher Gregory Kramer writes, Right view is understanding the world in such a way that we can recognize what increases suffering now and in the future and what reduces suffering or ends it. The practice of right view includes those mental activities that bring about this understanding. This path factor, right view, assumes that both the mind and its perspective are malleable. This is really good news. (laughs) With the practice of right view, we put the power of the mind to work to free itself. A friend of mine who's a Tibetan practitioner refers to this as using the mind to turn the mind, which I love. I love that phrase. And then the second wise teacher is the inspiration for our style of practice on Thursday evenings, uh, Burmese teacher Sayada Utejaniya. And he writes, Everything is happening because of cause and effect. Our work is to have the right attitude, maintain awareness, use intelligence, and be interested. I find the information in these both quotes taken together as really useful. Uh, maybe all of us are practicing to become more peaceful or calmer or in some way have more reliable happiness in our lives. So it's important that we maintain awareness and get very interested in which mental activities 
increase suffering and which mental activities bring an end to suffering or lead in that direction. So we can prime the use of our intelligence, which Sayada is inviting us to use, by recognizing categories of what we do that engender suffering. So some of the areas we can find suffering include our formation of a self and then the way we cling to it, really the way we cling to it, the way our minds are constantly coming up with views and how we get stuck on them and the ways we can uh, deny or ignore a fundamental truth, maybe a law of the universe, that actions have consequences. So the self we're concerned with when we explore suffering includes fixed ideas about ourselves. And some are really very subtle, fundamental things like, I am this thinking mind. Or a little bit less subtle, I'm this or that type of meditator, or even I have this or that experience of meditation, not helpful because they contain fixed ideas about how we are and about meditation instead of paying attention moment to moment. Other fixed ideas about the self include attributions of our worth in the world from, you know, I'm worth more than other people to I'm not okay or I'm worth less than other people. Um, we can identify and cling to a whole lot of characteristics of me or mine, our abilities, our relationships, our roles. You might recognize some of them by brainstorming a list. I'm a person who fill in the blank as many times as you can, and then seeing the ways in which you might be clinging to or attached to any of those self-definitions, I'm a person who. As for views, we can start to study how strongly we believe what we think. Um, for example, have you ever had a first impression of somebody which was really disproved as you got to know them? Um, thoughts we have about other people are very often fixed views because, let's face it, thinking we know another person in detail is a delusion, <laughs> even in our own families. There's a lot we never see that's going on inside another person. So maybe you can consider what are some views you've had about either yourself or um, things in general, people in general, that have caused suffering for you. We can look at our beliefs about our meditation practice, our daily life mindfulness. We can look at our beliefs about our fortunes in life, you know, how things are going. Of course, beliefs about what it means to be a citizen in our country or politics, they get more and more obvious. And pretty soon we really see that there are often at least some, if not many, fixed ideas that we have a hard time not believing. But everything changes. Impressions of people change. Family members can turn around and surprise you. Um, the same is true of our practice. We, you know, we think it's one way only to find it changes the next sitting 
or the next year or whenever, the next second. We assess ourselves and our jobs and then life changes. We have entirely different beliefs. Um, so these, these areas of identification with a fixed self or fixed views about ourselves, others in the world, give us plenty to work with as we practice awareness with interest and intelligence. They come up during practice. And then there's this third area of suffering I mentioned. When we deny or ignore actions, that actions have consequences, we set ourselves up for struggles, shocks, suffering. So as a minor example, if our habit has become running late for scheduled events, and we we also notice we struggle with irritability, we might be ignoring how being chronically late and rushing around is creating stress and a bad mood of irritability. Or a major example, uh, one that I know personally, if we rely upon food for self-soothing and keep fighting with our weight, we might be denying our own emotions and setting ourselves up for health challenges resulting from it. And by the way, this is a hard one because we need to eat to live. (laughs) An even more painful example can arrive as a shock when a maladaptive coping strategy no longer works. And we don't even know it's maladaptive. Um, For example, we can define our worth in the world by our paid employment and our, and maybe even uh, a lot of people I know overwork for years or decades and they neglect uh, maybe parts of their, the rest of their life. Um, I've seen that in Silicon Valley. I've even heard medical professionals say, wow, I'm seeing 35 year olds who have body problems that 60 year olds have. So this is common in our culture. Um, and then you know, one day a person wakes up a lot older and realizes, whoa, I worked my life. I worked, 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 but there were these other things I neglected. Other people, family, other things about myself. In meditation, if we're aware we're fantasizing or ruminating or doing something that feels compelling and we realize we're being complacent, we shouldn't be surprised if meditation isn't beneficial. So fortunately, we have these powerful tools in the Dharma to begin counter-conditioning all of these kinds of tendencies that lead to suffering. And once we realize that our actions, including our thoughts, have consequences that either lead to more suffering or towards more freedom, we can start to recognize which thoughts and actions are wholesome and which are unwholesome. So one practice that's recommended is just notice something's wholesome or unwholesome as it arises in meditation and in daily life. As we do that recognition over and over, wholesome, unwholesome, a space for choice begins to open up and we learn to let go, release unwholesome actions, thoughts, and we don't feed them any more thoughts. We learn to abandon them. We recognize wholesome thoughts and actions and know and feel them as they occur, kind of appreciating them, reinforcing their goodness. 
So uh, finally, directed uh, thinking and reflection practices, like the one we did at the end of the meditation, are one way that uh, Sayadaw is suggesting when he invites us to use intelligence and be interested. Leanne, she can tell us more from her years of working with Sayadaw, but I suspect he's encouraging us to do this as part of our regular practice of watching our own minds. What am I aware of now? What's the attitude of mind? And noticing with intelligence what arises. So the intelligence might be, whoa, this is leading to more suffering, or, oh, this is wholesome. So um, that's probably enough for me to share for now. And uh, we, we now have plenty of time for questions, reflections on your practice, um, objections, anything that is coming to you this evening. And also I want to invite, before we get into that, maybe invite Lian Chi if you have any additions or comments about what I've shared about right attitude. Yes, thank you, Liz. That was wonderful um, sharing. And I have a lot of resonation on that because, um, yes, at the center in Burma, Sayadaw have a uh, right at the um, gate. There's a sentence that, that um, what is the my thinking? Right at the gate. And um, both in English and Burmese. So <laughs> um, that's, that's our quote. Well, that, that's what we need to know because he said everything is come to the mind. If you know the mind, you know everything else. So um, like Buddha said, the mind is the foreigner. Like if you think happy thoughts, then it's like the, um, uh, the shadow never left the body. And if you think a bad thought and our action is like uh, uh, a cart followed the us. So one side is very light, just shadow and body. The other one is the cart and the ox. It's just heavy. So how does that feel whenever we think something? How does that affect our body? And um, Sayadaw Shu uh, Wimin, who is Sayadaw Utechaniya teacher, he said this, if you seek, if you seek a happy life, always be aware. When you maintain awareness, the mind remains clear and happiness abounds. So, and um, it's not that because I've been um, uh, grow up in Buddhism or be listened too much or um, practice just because I'm, 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 I'm Asian or Buddhist. But because um, I have to say, <laughs> I came to practice with broken heart many, many times in my life. <laughs> so whenever I come to the center and practice, when I came out, I'm always happier. Always feel like I complete or I'm, I have fixed my problem and I can start again. And one day that I can, I thought that, um, well, if I'm keep doing that, it's mean I'm keep repeating. 
again and again? Why can't I just maintain it? Why can't I just like, like you know, people react and respond? Why can't I have that kind of reflection? When something bows to me, I'm just respond to that, reflect to that with happiness. With something that already there, uh, I don't have to wait until it's broken and fix it. So just like Sayadaw Shumin said, if I'm sick for a happy life, be aware all the times. And I'm just reflecting with what I'm listening, what I'm taking in. How do I relate to that? Just like Lee's um, said in our sitting, when I'm relate to that, what, and is that more suffering or less suffering? I can give you an example. We all have family or at least neighbor to live close by. If, or driving, if you think the one that cut off in front of you, that, man, that kind of sucker, or like, how can he or she drive like that? Or do you know what time it is they still playing so loud music or party? You think that way, who's going to feel uncomfortable first? That's right, we the one, the thinker. And then if you think like, well, maybe that person is having rush, some kind of emergency, that person needs to do that. Or, well, once in a while they play loud music, sound is just sound. It doesn't matter loud sound or soft sound, it's just sound. So how do you feel like that? That's the right attitude, right? So mm-hmm. it's okay. It's okay for, and then even if it's a wrong action that affecting you and you have pain. I'm not saying that you always can use right attitude and not having pain. You do be affected by that, you impact by that, and you have pain and suffering. But if you have the right reflection, let's say feeling is conditioned. And if it's conditioned, it's mean impermanent. So right now, it's just like this. It's just like this right now. It will be end. When conditioned enough, things happen. And also, when conditioned enough, things also change. So with that reflection, you don't feel like I am this way or I'm always be this way. Like I'm suffering and I am the suffering. I am will be suffering again or tomorrow. You just be in the situation right now, right here. And that situation will change when condition change. You're not conditioned. Condition is just a part of your life. So that's all I have to share. Thank you. That was amazing. I'm going to remember the sign over the gate. Picture it until I can go there. <laughs> so, what what came up for people this evening, or what questions do you have? What would you like to share about this practice? Anything at all is welcome, and you can uh, unmute if you're not visible on screen, or you can raise your hand. Whatever's comfortable for you.
Um, I have another one that I would like to share. That um, when we talk about practice, we think about less suffering. But actually, the truth is when you practice, you be more happy. And that happiness is stronger motivation to practice. So the word less suffering is not very appealed to us, but happiness is more appealed to the mind. Uh-huh. So, so maybe we could take that branch and think, is this leading to more suffering or is this leading to more happiness? Mm-hmm. 